Does the current political banter sound like an old record to you? This is the True Disciples Podcast, where everything you know about Reformation is about to get a radical makeover in the power of the Holy Spirit. Your True Disciples host is Dr. Kevin Baird, Senior Pastor of Legacy Church in Charleston, South Carolina. And now, the True Disciples Podcast. Welcome back to the True Disciples Podcast. Today on the Reformation Archive, we continue our way through the new House Hunter series at Legacy Church. Today's message is titled, House for a Hurricane, Part 1. I was thinking even as we were singing the song, and we'll be singing that song until hopefully maybe we have it memorized. But I was thinking as I was just standing there, how many of you remember the old 1960-whatever Christmas cartoon, How the Grinch Stole Christmas? You remember that? Some of us were just little kids when that first came out. And I, I always remember the scene to this day, and it just flashed in front of me. It has really no spiritual connotation in the cartoon, but, it, but I think it has some application for us today that after the Grinch comes and he steals everything, he, he, he wipes them out, remember, for Christmas. He wipes out the presents and he wipes out the Christmas trees and he wipes out the food and he wipes it all out and he takes it all up the hill and he's waiting to hear the sound of the groan, the moan. And they all walk out of their homes and they circle up in a circle and they sing that crazy who song. Yeah, everybody, yeah, we're not, we're not going to And the point of the story was this, that, that the importance of the holiday, and I realize it's all secular based, so I, I, I get it, but you strip it all away and it still can't strip away the heart. And I just thought about our floods through the years, the floods they're facing, It'll be interesting when it all is stripped away, when you no longer have the bells and whistles, does it really matter in your heart? And that's what we're talking about. We're in our third message, and because of the hurricane, uh, I determined that it merited uh, a little bit different uh, message for today. I just wanted to use something a little bit more uh, relevant and applicable to our moment. And we've been talking about in this House Hunter series, what kind of church does God want? That's really what ecclesiology means. It's the study of the church and church practices and why we do what we do and not so much what we want, but what does God want and what's the church that he's looking for. And so today, uh, because of the stressful week that so many people have faced, are facing, and will continue to face really in the, in the days and weeks ahead, uh, I decided I wanted to talk this morning on what I've entitled a house for a hurricane. A house for a hurricane. I want to read some familiar passages out of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, beginning with verse 24. I want you to listen to this because you want to talk about speaking to the moment. Jesus said these words. He says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house. And it did not fall. For it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine 
and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And of course, it goes on to say that when those rains came and when those floodwaters rose and when the winds blew, it blew it all away. Now, because of the crazy week of this hurricane, uh, I wanted to do what I called in this sermon series an excursus. Do you know what an excursus is? Some of you might, some of you may not. That's the good thing if you hang around me long enough, hopefully we'll expand your vocabulary a little bit. It's really okay. Rush Limbaugh said it for years. If you could learn a few extra words, it probably would up even IQ. So excursus, you know, in the back of every book um, that you read, or I shouldn't say every book, but a lot of books, you'll have certain things at the end. For example, at the end of a book, you may have an appendix. You know, not, not the appendix here, the appendix in the back of the book, or an index. Uh, sometimes there's an addendum, and these things are adding information or things you might like to know. End notes may come at the end of a book as well. And excursus is the fancy name, hear me now, excursus is the fancy name for a rabbit trail. It's, it's, it's a rabbit trail that you go on if you're a writer or an author in a book because you really wanted to go down it, but it didn't have time to do it in the regular writing. And so today I'm running down this rabbit trail already in the midst of House Hunter. A storm came, and whether that storm be a hurricane or a natural disaster or even a man-made act, perhaps of terrorism, a storm reveals weaknesses, problems, and neglected areas in people's life. Is that not true? A storm will will show us exactly what area needs to be addressed, even in cities, in states. My wife, Beverly, does it well. Both my wife and Beverly work at a place they've mentioned on occasion. It's called The Tides. It's down in Mount Pleasant. I know this is on Facebook Live, so I promise I will not. I will will not out anybody uh, in that area. But The Tides is this upscale condo place that basically has people have, of means. Most of the folks that live there are people of means. I don't know that they're all millionaires, but they have to be close, I would imagine, to live in that place. But they're people of means. And it's interesting that even when you're a person of means, as they were getting ready for the hurricane, because I was watching and listening to all that you guys were doing, it's interesting that even people of means and having money perhaps in banks and in markets and all the things that they may have it in, it's interesting that when storms come, even for them, it exposes their areas of weakness. Money doesn't even get you out of a storm. In fact, the vast majority of time, most of us, not even millionaires, but they would be included, most of us feel like we're pretty self-sufficient, we're autonomous, we're independent, we're also a little bit demanding. Is that not true? We're kind of demanding as a people. Think about it. Just be honest. You're, you can be demanding at times. We all can be. I, I'm de- I can be demanding. Don't look at me like I'm never demanding. Oh, I, I, can fi- I can put you in a storm and we'll find out how demanding you are. We're pretty sophisticated, we feel like. We're self-made until a storm shows up. And when a storm shows up, all of a sudden we have to live outside of our isolated, cloistered lives because we're going to have to drive a car on an interstate with a million other people bumper to bumper. 
All of a sudden, our cell phones won't work because everybody's trying to use their cell phone at the exact same time. All of a sudden, we find out that who are we going to call to help us because we don't have anybody else's cell phone number. Everything's great until a storm hits. No one needs anyone until you're in a storm. I had a, 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 a wonderful person, well-intentioned person, because if they're watching, now that we're live, I know a lot of folks watch in, and I would never embarrass anybody. They were certainly well-intentioned. But they just had texted me asking if it was possible to relocate a person here in town who was in a trailer. And the reason they needed to be relocated was because they were just in a situation and they were poor and other things and, and, and they didn't have any connection in any way, shape, or form. And it's interesting, they never needed any connections in any way, shape, or form until what? A storm. And all of a sudden when a storm shows up, I find out I really don't know anybody. And I haven't been around anybody. And that really is the fruit of isolation. In fact, it's interesting to me that here in America, as I was watching all the news reports, in fact, I was watching just after the storm kind of, of subsided, there were people ready. In fact, they were, they were interviewing people from Louisiana, of all places, that were going into the Wilmington area. They were called what the Cajun Navy. Is that what they're called? The Cajun Navy. And these guys are waiting for storms so they can take their bass boats and John boats, I know, and they're ready to go down the road because it just jazzes them and buzzes them to rescue people. And so they were interviewing them and they say, listen, we just live to help people. That's what we live for, to help people. Now, I don't know if it's faith-based. I don't know if they're Christian or they're non-Christian or they're cultural Christians. I don't know. But all of that we see when America rushes like the Samaritan's Purse has semis running into that area. There are other organizations that aren't even faith-based that are starting to do things. And even our government, as slow as our government can be and as frustrating as our government can be, even when our government moves in, all of these are indicators of a fruit of a Christian worldview that I understand that's diminishing. We're living in postmodernism, but it's still the residue of our Christian ethic that existed in this country for years. That is when some tragedy happens somewhere in our nation, watch as people mobilize to go try to bring some help into that area. Now, our problem is in postmodernism, it's no longer really about helping. It's really all about me. And that's the problem with postmodernism. And as decade after decade continues, it's going to be less and less probably of a feature, I think, of finding people that help. Now, I'm glad there are people that help. But it's interesting how less and less are, are probably stepping into it. And it's interesting how that doesn't necessarily affect those that want to be disconnected. In fact, I think Christians should help people if at all possible. Compassion to everyone is an important trait, I think, of the church. But that being said, I, I tell you these stories simply because I find it fascinating how faithfully the church responds. The church responded to Katrina. The church responded uh, to the Houston area when it was flooded. Uh, the church responded here at uh, Abundant Life when it was flooded. We could go down all the different uh, storms and, and tragedies. But it's interesting how all these things take place and yet people are so reluctant to connect. 
Now, we're going to deal with in later messages about connecting to local churches and, and how do I connect. And, and you, you may not know this, but you have to connect to the universal church, too. You, most people think they don't have to even connect to the universal church. They're just this, that just just automatic, and it's not automatic. And I'll show you in Scripture how we connect to that as well. But it's interesting that, that when you're connected to a church and when you're faithful to a church, you may face a storm, but you don't face the storm all by yourself. And I think this is probably as good a moment as any to practically remind us why it's so important to be connected. I don't know how it works with everybody, but I just kind of watched us. It's amazing how many people start texting, hey, do you have somewhere to go? Someone with you? Where are you guys? Are you leaving town? Hey, give me, you know, make sure we know where you're at. And all of a sudden, there's this network that begins to just develop as to care and some form of connection. And in this ever-increasing, technologically expanding era we're living in, it's interesting to me how we have so many ways to stay connected, and yet at the same time, we're finding ourselves ever the more isolated. Our relationships are with screens. This is not a bad thing, because I can keep track of people, and I can talk to you and catch up with you. So I'm not, I'm not against it. In fact, right now my grandson's on my screen patting his tummy. I like that. But most of us, that's our relationships. And so I want to talk just a little bit on this area and just, and just ask ourselves, why, why, why just won't we connect? This is really practical today. I'm not, I'm not dealing with all the, 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 the deep mysteries of ecclesiology. I just want to get super practical because right now there's a storm. And right now, again, I'm just using North Carolina because it's so close as an example. You know, we're going to find out if it was really a smart thing for people not to have a faith-based connection because they may be hanging for a while. Church will help them. Church will reach out to them, I'm sure, in that area. I'm sure they will. That's what Christians do. Let me tell you what Christians, the Christians more than anybody know what it's like to be used. Everybody wants the church when they need the church. Nobody wants to participate in the church when it's time to participate. I want to ride in the wagon. I just don't want to pull any wagons. I want people to minister to me, but God knows I can't reach out to anybody want your doors to be open when I want them to be open, and I want them at certain hours when I want those hours, but other than that, I really don't care much. I could go down that road, couldn't I? But that's postmodernism, and it's affected believers as well. Why won't people connect? I'm just going to give you a few quick things, because I promised I wasn't going to keep you long, and I, I'm going to keep that. Number one is reason won't people won't connect is because of real or perceived hurts or wounds. People say, I've been hurt. I've been hurt in the church. Well, probably... I've always said this when people say I've had a bad experience. If you've been in church life for two weeks, you've had a bad experience. People, it's people. You can be glad you're, you're pastors. I mean, I've had bad experiences every week for 40 years in church life. That's a part of it, people. And that's why people, they don't, they go, I'm, I, I don't want to be a part. Number two, erroneous theology. A lot of people think they don't have to go to church. And we'll, we'll deal with connection and, and faithful, but they just say, I don't really have to go to church. I can worship Jesus anywhere. And you don't understand, if the Lord commands you to gather and you're not gathering, then you're in disobedience. And to him who knows what is right and does not do it, to him it is sin. So I just blew out your, I don't have to go to church, didn't I?
thank you again for tuning in to the True Disciples podcast. Please be sure to subscribe for future updates and to catch up on past episodes. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn. You can also reach out to us with questions or feedback at truedisciplespodcast at gmail.com. And as always, between now and next time, we encourage you to go out and make his name great. Great.